0: Well, okay, now it's time to preach. (laughs) Uh, We are on the final week of our series uh, called Converge. And Converge has been a series uh, about the kingdom of God. One of the phrases that Jesus uses more than any other phrase is the kingdom of God. And so we started to search as a church and say, well, if if Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God so much, we should pay attention and not only should we pay attention to that, but that should inform and shape our viewpoint as a church and the things that we think are important. So we have been going through this series called Converge. It's life where heaven meets earth. It's the idea that there's this heavenly kingdom that many of us think about is something that happens after, after death. It's heaven. It's where God exists. And we read in scripture and know that there's a picture of, of paradise or heaven that was in the beginning before sin enters the world. But the truth is, we're living our lives between those two realities. But Jesus kept teaching that, yes, there is a future kingdom of heaven, but there's a present kingdom of heaven. There's evidence of the rule and reign of God that exists today. And so as we've been studying this, life where heaven meets earth, and and asking how will it shape our church, we have a few phrases that we've been going through. And I have these on the screen for you. The first is we dream of being a a Christ-centered, spirit-led church. And these are the five statements we talked about. Based on our study of the kingdom of God, we want to be a place that's reaching the lost and wandering. It is very clear that in the kingdom of God, the king searches out the lost and those who've wandered from faith. At the very heart of God is bringing people into friendship with him. We want to be a church that provides refuge for the broken and hurting. It is very clear that in the kingdom of God, those who are hurting and broken and outcast and weary and even those who are just tired from being religious can find rest in the kingdom of God. And it's a kingdom where... We are all the broken ones. None of us can say, oh, that's not me. We all have our cracks. We all have our brokenness somewhere. And we can find refuge in the kingdom of God. We can find rest for our souls, as Jesus would say. And so we want to be a church that provides that for others. We want to shine the light of Jesus in our community. Not just shine Jesus to our community, in our community. We want to be there. We want to be the salt and light. Because members of the kingdom of God are active. They're participating in Encinitas in North County. And, and as Jesus lives in us and through us, people will see the light of Jesus. And we believe that that changes your family. It changes your home life. We believe that it's a benefit to the neighbors who live next to you. We believe that being in the kingdom of God is a benefit to your city, to your workplace. As the life of Christ lives in and through you, it changes things. And so we want to be a church that's actively involved. That's why we're involved in, in uh, tackling like child literacy here in our own community because we know that it's one of the things that will help break the, the cycle of poverty and crime. And so we want to literally be there and not even bringing the gospel necessarily, but doing something because Christ has given us a love for people because his love for people. And so as we follow him, we shine the light of Jesus in our community. We want to be a church that's multiplying disciples. And this means multiplying leaders and groups and gatherings. And this is the idea of, uh, of taking what we know and passing it on to others and helping you discover your own unique giftedness your own unique shape the things that god has called you to so that you can participate in the kingdom of god and pass that on to someone else it's the kingdom of god is always on the move and advancing and sharing from one to the other and finally we want to be a church that's building into future generations for christ we are deeply committed to our kids to our youth to our young families to young marriages Because we know that when we invest in the younger generation, that is how the kingdom of God lives on. And so we are very committed to the younger generations. And we make no apologies about our commitment as a church. And we talked about the strength that we have here. Because in the kingdom of God, it's a multi-generational thing. And at Seacoast, we have all the generations learning and growing together. And using our strength to build into future generations for Christ. So these are some of the statements that we want to define us as we talk about being a church where heaven meets earth. But today, we have a challenge that's set before us. Today, as we conclude this series called Converge, we're going to look at a passage that maybe is familiar to some of you, maybe not to others. But on the surface, it doesn't seem like a kingdom passage But we're going to dig a little deeper and understand its context and understand actually that this is one of the most radical kingdom statements that Jesus makes. It's a challenge that he lays down for the people who are listening and a challenge that applies to us today that will cause us as a church to say, Jesus, we're we're in. We want to be a part of your kingdom. And so we're going to look at that in just a moment. So before we do, let us pray. God, we thank you so much for today. I thank you uh, for your life given to us i thank you for this time now as we look into your word i ask that these words would be yours not mine that this is for your glory not mine and it's to build your kingdom not mine and not seacoast kingdom god we want to be about you and so now would you teach me as i teach the words you give and may this speak to each one of us today Because we do believe that these are your words and this is your truth. So we ask that you make us aware of your presence now. In your name, amen. So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 22. Now in Matthew 22, we actually looked at one of these passages a few weeks ago. And it was a parable about the kingdom of God. And and Jesus was speaking and he he was speaking to the Pharisees and he gave this picture of the kingdom of God that it was a place for those who were unclean, those who were sick, those who were not spiritual or religious enough and he gave the I, he, he gives this imagery in the marriage feast. It's called the parable of the marriage feast. And he said, in the kingdom of God, it's not about how holy or righteous you make yourself look or that you behave. It's about the clothes that Christ puts on you. You're invited into the dinner party and God is the one who will make you qualified to be there. So he just gave that story. And the people who are listening to it, a lot of people loved that because they knew they didn't measure up. But there was a group of people who heard that story and didn't like it because they were the religious ones. They were the ones who were following the rules and trying to cause others to follow the rules. So Jesus just said, no, in the kingdom of God, it's open to everyone. And then that takes us to Matthew 22, verse 15, our passage for today. Then, after hearing that, the Pharisees, and these are the religious teachers, kind of the religious elite, The Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap Jesus in what he said, and they they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, "'Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth, and you defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not?' But Jesus perceived their malice and said, "'Why are you testing me, you hypocrites?' Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, It's Caesar's. Then Jesus said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they went amazed, and leaving him, they went away. Now again, on the surface we read this, and you might think, well, I don't know what that has to do with the kingdom of God. He's talking about paying taxes. And tax day is in a couple weeks, so great. We have a sermon about paying taxes. But we find that, I love that one of the couples over there just looked at each other and went, oh, it's tax day, it's coming up, okay. (laughs) This sermon has nothing to do with taxes. This passage has everything to do with the kingdom of God, and we're going to get into that in a moment. But to understand it, as I said, we need to know the context. We need to know what's happening. So let's look at it, break it down a little bit more. Find out, first of all, why is this a trap? It says the Pharisees went away and plotted together how they might trap Jesus and what he said. So they went away and thought about this. This wasn't a flippant question. This wasn't something that they just came up with out of the blue. They went and plotted and they thought, how can we trick Jesus and get him to say something? that's going to catch him. Now, what do they want to catch him from? Well, here's a few things. First of all, he was was known as the Messiah and his popularity was growing. His teachings were gaining traction. People were saying, well, this is a new kind of teaching. We like this. This is the Messiah. Could it be that God sent him to us? And the Pharisees hated his message. They hated it because everything Jesus was teaching was challenging their grip on power. Their grip on their position. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, their grip on their preferences. Those are things none of us like to lose. But Jesus in his teachings was challenging them. And they knew there was a couple things that could happen. One, they could either get him to say something that would cause all the people who follow him to say, wait a minute, you're not the Messiah we thought you were, and stop following him. That's option one. Get him to say something that he would lose his own followers. Option two would be get him to say something that would cause the Romans, who were now in power over Israel, to see him as a rebel and to arrest him. And to kill him is what they did to anyone they saw as a threat to the state of Rome. So they thought about it. What is the best question we can come up with? So they said, should we pay our tax to Caesar or not? Essentially, what they're saying, they're not saying, "Jesus, should we follow the laws of the land?" If that was the question, he'd say, "Yes, follow the laws of the land." And then this conversation should be over. But by asking about the poll tax, this was a tax that was used to fund the Roman legions that were on, were in power over Israel. So that tax actually was supporting the Roman army that was oppressing them. So they kind of thought of if we pay this tax, and there was a debate among the Jews, if we pay this, are we supporting Rome? Are we supporting their empire? So the question one was Jesus, should we support Rome? Now they knew if he said, of course, let's support Rome. All of the people who saw him as Messiah, who believed he would deliver them out of the hands of the Romans, who would give them hope and redeem the nation of Israel, they would say, wait, you're not who we thought you were. And he would lose his following. So if he supports Rome, he's not the Messiah, they thought. Now if he said, no, we're not going to support Rome because we're talking about the kingdom of God, then the Romans would arrest him. And his movement would end that way, they thought. So they were trying to ask one of those questions. I compare it to when I was, we were kids and junior hires and you ask dumb questions and you mess with your friends. We'd ask questions to each other like, hey, have you stopped kissing your sister yet? You know, it, it's one of those kind of questions. Okay, just, Tom, just the two of us are the only ones who were that immature. That's fine. <laughs> and we still think it's funny. That's what I like about it. So... And and, and so we'd ask questions like that because you can't really answer it. If you say, well, yes, I have. And we go, oh, you were kissing your sister. And if you say, well, no, they go, you haven't? So they thought, I'll tell you later. Okay, so they thought by asking them this question, it was an unanswerable question. That would get him in trouble either way. It went. And so they sent their disciples to ask him the questions. So we have Pharisees, and then the Herodians, and these were people loyal to Rome. So you have you have both sides who are listening to how he will answer. And Jesus then says this. So the trap was to get him to declare allegiance to one or the other. So then he says, "Why are you testing me, you hypocrites?" Show me a coin that's used for the poll tax. And he had them show him a denarius. We have a, a picture here on the screen of a denarius. This one is, was the, the same one that was in circulation at the time of Christ. What you see on your left side is a, a picture of Tiberius. And on the right side, no one really knows what it is. It's, it's a lady holding up like a torch. but um, It's the Statue of Liberty. But um, on the side with Tiberius, it says, Tiberius, the son of God. On the other side, it says Pontificus Maximus, the highest pontiff, which is the bridge between heaven and earth. So this coin says, here is Tiberius, the son of God, and the highest bridge, the one who is the bridge between the divine and earth. Now think of this coin, if you are a Jewish kid growing up, and you're devout to the scripture, and you know you shall have no other gods. You know that you shall have no idols. And there's a coin circulation that declares that the Caesar is son of God and that he is the bridge between the divine and earth. So, see, And there was a debate in their day whether they should even hold a coin like that. In fact, in many cases, the Jews printed their own coins because they thought even holding that was a sin. So even the coin itself was part of their test. And Jesus says, show me one of those coins. Now, could you imagine how offensive this coin would have been to Jesus? Who has the title, the Son of God? (laughs) Who is the bridge between heaven and earth? Who is the one that gives us access to the Father in heaven? But Caesar has it written on his own coin. So Caesar, or Jesus looks at this. Now, we have to know something else about coins, See, coins were used, when you had this coin, and you paid with this coin, it meant that you were somewhere in Caesar's dominion. This coin had his likeness, and when you used that money, it was because you used it in his kingdom. Today, when you use American money, you look at it, Most, for the most part, you're in a place that we, as America, have dominion over. Usually. <laughs> And so the idea is the money itself declared whose dominion existed there. The Caesars, in fact, when they would take over a city, they would put at the city gate a big seal that would be a seal of the Roman government. So you know when you entered into that city, you would have the seal of the Roman government and you would know this belongs to Caesar. Caesar would put statues all over the place in temples and in government buildings to say when you see Caesar's statue you knew that you belonged in his dominion so the coin itself was a declaration of the dominion so jesus says let's look at this coin now whose likeness do we see here whose inscription and the people said well it's caesar's now jesus in asking this used a different he used a term here that to the romans meant didn't mean much he said, whose likeness, whose image is on this? It's a Greek word, ekono. It's the Hebrew word from the root salam, which is Salem," which is, uh, we use it today for photograph. It can mean statue. It, it's likeness. It's an image of something. But to understand that what Jesus did when he asked a question, he actually turns it and he makes a radical statement. Not in English but understanding their context. Join with me to Genesis chapter 1. Very first book in the Bible. We've talked about these verses before, but it's really important that we get it. So this coin had Caesar's image, and so it meant that that coin belonged to his kingdom. The image was what Jesus was asking about. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God is creating the world. Now he's creating mankind. And he says this, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the very beginning of creation, God creates mankind in his image. And the point here is he created us in his image, the same word for statue or likeness or photograph. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and rule over the earth. In other words, everywhere where the things that are in my image exist, that's declaring my image kingdom it's representing the king in whose image they bear so when jesus asks about the coin being in the image of caesar and says well if it's caesar's if it's in his image then it belongs to him that means nothing the romans heard that and said great pay your taxes that's what he said but the second part of that those who understood scripture Knew that he was saying something radical. He said, But the things that bear the image of God belong to God. Are you loyal to Rome or will you be loyal to God's kingdom? Jesus had the perfect answer because what he actually said was if you belong to God, then be loyal to God's kingdom, not Caesar's. But the Caesars couldn't figure it out. The Romans didn't know, they didn't have that history. But the Jews walked away amazed. They weren't amazed that Jesus said, pay taxes. They were amazed that he just won up them, he just declared a revolution. He said the people who are in the image of God belong in the kingdom of God and they are not loyal to Caesar on his throne. They may pay their taxes because that's the law, but their loyalty is not to Caesar, it's to God. They don't belong to Caesar, they belong to God. The kingdom of God is a radical revolution and we are going to change things. He declared that at that moment, and the Jews went away amazed because he just up to them in their question. Now, we could end here today and say, so you guys want to declare your loyalty to Caesar or to God? And I hope most of us would say, no, of course, we belong to God. It seems like an easy challenge, right, to at least answer. But I got thinking about it, and I wondered, why is it so hard to actually bear the image of God why is it so hard to actually live in the kingdom of God under the rule and reign of Christ with his ways and words informing who we are what makes that so difficult for us as Christians because I don't know about you but I think it's kind of a tough job (laughs) to represent the kingdom of God so I have a few things when we get to this challenge why is it that we struggle with it and I have a few thoughts First one is this, because I think we forget who we are. We talk about identity a lot here, so much so that you might say, hey, why do you always talk about identity? Well, one of the reasons is because we forget. <laughs> we forget. We get up in the morning and we say, we want to live for Jesus. And so we can think, okay, today, God, I'm going I'm to live a life that represents your kingdom. I'm going to live a life that others will look at me and be proud. I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to love my wife even if she says things that I don't agree with. I'm going to love and just care about my kids even when I find their socks on the dinner table. Why the dinner table? But I'm going to love them. I'm just going to you know be, embrace them, and I'm not going to get upset. And I'm going to drive to work, and when I get cut off on the freeway, I'm just going to smile and wave with all of my fingers, and I'm going to I'm going to do all of those things that. Jesus will make you proud. That's going to represent the kingdom. And we kind of come up with our list for the day. But then we find that it's not so easy all the time, is it? And sometime during the day, we kind of feel like maybe we we get beat down a little or we have one little failure and then we start saying, oh yeah, maybe I don't belong. I'm not Christian enough. The people in my life group are so spiritual and then I show up and my issues seem so small. Maybe I don't fit and we forget who we are. It's the song we sang today of we are a child of God. It's our identity. It's Christ in us. But we forget that all the time. Major Ian Thomas said this when speaking about the difficulty of living the Christian life. He said only Christ is capable of living the Christian life for the very obvious reason that he is the Christian life. You see, we forget, sometimes we think that the Christian life is a better version of ourselves. Sometimes we think that the Christian life is us improved, the new and improved Ryan. Now, I hope there's elements of the Christian life in me, and I hope I'm growing, and I hope people look at me and say, you're better now, you look more like Christ now than you used to. But when we start thinking that the Christian life is us, but improved, we start to forget and start thinking it's about our life being better when it has to be the life of Christ in us. There's a difference. There's a difference. I, uh, I think uh, one of the other things for us is that we have fatigue. So one, we forget who we are and we forget that it's Christ in us. And and we think it's us in us, but better. The other one is fatigue. We try to do what's right. We do all those things, but it just gets tough after a while. Maybe you stumble and you fall, and you think, God, I I, I don't think I'm getting any. I don't see more evidence of Your life in me. I uh, this last week I was playing basketball. I play in a in a league here in Encinitas. In fact, one of our fellow players is over there. So I play in the gym. And uh, there's, there's like a group of 40 guys, but at any given moment, there's about 20 guys out there playing. And, and when there's that many, I'm usually in the top 20 of talent. And so... Um we're out there playing, and I think my reputation usually is, is I'm a hard worker, but I'm pretty low-key, pretty fun. I don't... If you call a foul, it's a foul. If I fouled you, I'll call it. I don't care. I don't argue. It doesn't matter to me that I won the lunchtime basketball game. It's not going to change the rest of my day, where it does for some, apparently. And so... Uh, and, and, but that's fine. So now, last week... Uh, and, and everyone knows that i'm a pastor here at the church and and so last week we were playing and i was going for a rebound and there's this guy he's a pretty big guy he literally grabbed me and threw me like this i've played basketball for many many years and that's never happened to me um it was it was strange and but i remember going off the ground and being thrown and i landed in someone else's elbow on my face like right in the nose now do you guys understand like pain rage um And what I mean by that is kind of like in the middle of the night you get up and you walk through your living room and your uh, coffee table sticks out its toe and like hits yours. You know, just out of nowhere or you're turning the corner too tight and you just hit that toe on the side and all of a sudden your whole body's like, and the only thing you want to do is kick that thing again (laughs) and tell it how stupid it is for being there. So that's what I call pain rage. Uh, Apparently there's eight of us who have that. But so... So I got hit in the nose, and that's my first reaction, was pain rage. And all the blood goes there, and then it shuts off your frontal lobe, and you just respond. (laughs) Now, so I responded in a way that in the gym was perfectly normal, and some of my phrases I used are heard often there. (laughs) If I share those phrases with you now... I will have emails and I'll have a lunch meeting with our chairman of the elder board. So, but the first reaction was just, I had some questions for this guy. <laughs> and I had some statements about the move he just had. And, and, and there was only a few words that could totally describe what I was feeling. <laughs> My kids aren't in the service, so I can say it. Not right but so that came out. Now, that's not Christ in me. That's not even close to Christ in me. And I could get at the end of the day and say, you know what, I'm just, I can't believe that popped up. So I blew it. I don't even know if I can do this Christian thing, if I'm going to have those kind of moments. And we get fatigued because we think that God just rechanged his definition of us by a moment like that. Now, there may be a day when that happens and I just smile at the guy like, oh, it's okay, brother. (laughs) it's probably in heaven when that happens but But 20 years ago it probably been more than words i probably would have come back at him maybe with some fists or maybe next time down the the gym down the court when he goes up for a shot i don't even care where the ball is i don't even care if he has the ball (laughs) But I was able to share my thoughts and then say, hey, no problem, I have a short memory, let's just play. And life went on. See, that was different. That's different than 20 years ago. See, Christ in me is changing me. But if I just get fatigued because I say, oh, I messed up again, we start to lose sight. We say, maybe I don't belong in the kingdom. C.S. Lewis says this, Faith is not a matter of our hearing what Christ said long ago and trying to carry it out. Rather, the real Son of God is at your side. He is beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He is beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought into you, beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man. The part of you that does not like it is the part that is still tin. You see, when Christ starts to inject his life into us, his life and his thoughts and his words and deeds, we start to become more and more like him. And the parts of us that don't like it are the parts that are still tin. They're still hanging on. So we get fatigued when we think it's about us. We, We don't bear the image when we forget who we are. And also, maybe some are not Bearing the image of God in here today because you've never received Jesus into your life. Maybe you say, well, not in the kingdom yet. And Jesus makes the invitation very clear. If you are broken, hurting, sinful, you feel like you're so far from Christ. Today, he says, welcome in. The question is for you. You've been made in the image of God. Will you receive that? And will you live in the kingdom? Will you live your life? Let Christ in you to declare, to be a statue, a picture of God everywhere you go so people know his dominion is in and around you. The invitation is open to you today, to everyone in here. So as we get close to the end and want to kind of conclude this whole series, um, For me, I I think the challenge for us as a church is really how do we want to respond? What does it look like if Seacoast buys into this? What does it look like if we took seriously the challenge that Jesus lays down where he says, if it isn't in the image of Caesar, then let Caesar have it. But if it's in the image of God, let that thing declare God's kingdom everywhere it goes. And the challenge for you and for me is if you are in the image of God, will your life declare God's kingdom everywhere you go? Will you see the rule and reign of God be made evident through your interactions? And even on those failures, even in those moments when the elbow hits the nose, you can come back and declare the kingdom of God by just telling the guys, Hey, and it's so funny when I said, guys, I'm sorry, I blurted out. And they're like, what? You know, they didn't even know anything was different. But even there to say, that's not me. Will your life declare the kingdom of God where you go? Can Seacoast Church declare the kingdom of God in the way we live, the way we interact with others, as we allow Jesus to unleash His power in us and through us? Do we want to be a part of that? Or do we want to be a church that shows up on Sundays, sings some good songs, grabs some coffee, shakes hands, and goes about our day. See, Jesus isn't talking about that kind of kingdom here. He's talking about a kingdom that changes the world. He's talking about allegiance to something that is so radical. It's different than anything we could ever imagine. See, we've been talking about the mission that we want to have as a church, but really this isn't our mission. This is God's mission. God has a mission to restore and redeem his creation, people, He wants to draw them into relationship with Him. He wants to fix the brokenness in your life. He wants to give you hope in your marriage. He wants to give you hope in your parenting and with your interactions with your neighbors. He wants to transform the way you see your future and and how you interact at work. He wants to shape and change all of that. He wants it all. That's what it is about the kingdom. If you belong to God, then let your life be God's. In his possession do we want that as a church matt from our teaching team shared this with me this week he said we go through life with a me first mentality we have narcissism if we go through life with family first it's nepotism if it's our people group first that's racism if it's our country first it's nationalism if it's god's kingdom first that's christian Who will you be? Who will we be as a church? Last week we talked about the fact that God gives us all t- time, talents, and treasures. We all have a specific, unique calling, something that we're good at, something God shaped us for. We all have time in our day. Some have more time than others. We get it. If you have kids, we know. You look at your life and say, well, what time do I have? <laughs> We all have treasures. We all have possessions. We all have money. Some have a lot more than others. In order to be about, if we want to be about God's kingdom, it takes a little bit of sacrifice of all those things. You know, my wife and I were talking recently, and, and we feel so blessed to be here. We feel blessed. I mean, we can't believe we live in Encinitas. It's a great place to be, we have a great house. Um, and uh, we have a nice rent. It's like right in our price range. We love it. It's never been raised. And so we feel totally blessed. We talk often. One of the things that we'd love is one day to buy a house. But you know what? We've also realized that we may never do that. And we're okay with that. And I'm not, I honestly, I'm not saying that to f- make you feel bad. We've never missed a meal. We get to go on vacation. We have what we need. But we know that we invest in the kingdom of God with a portion of our income. And you know what? If we didn't, we could probably buy a house. But I just don't think at the end of our day, we're going to be sitting on our deathbeds, because we'll probably die the same day, and we'll be sitting there. (laughs) And we'll be talking to each other and say, we're so glad we invested in the kingdom, but remember that one house? That would have been awesome to own the house instead. Really? Oh, I wish we would have had more money in retirement. I don't know. Really? God has given us and blessed us time. Oh, I wish we would have taken more time out of our lives to binge watch Netflix. It's been so great. <laughs> I'm going to die and I'm like two seasons behind. This is really terrible. It's hyperbole, right? It's a little ridiculous, but how many things do we do in our lives when we say, I could be about the kingdom of God, but not this. Can we declare our allegiance to Christ everywhere we go? We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. You're going to mess up. But when we can understand that we surrender to Christ in us and we allow it to be about His life lived through us, it's amazing what will happen. I really believe God's calling Seacoast into a new chapter. And there's lives of people that you interact with every day that he wants to restore and bring into relationship with him. There's a lot of guys I play basketball with that I look at and I say, I I know that Christ has a plan for your life. Would you be willing to listen? I know that in three weeks from now we're going to have an Easter service here. And I ask you right now, would you begin praying for it? Pray that there will be people who show up who need to hear about Jesus that day. I know God wants to transform lives. I know he does. And we can be a part of that. And the question for us as a church is, will we belong to the domain of Caesar or are we God's domain? And if we declare his life through our lives, I can't wait to see what he wants to do with you individually, with your family, with your work, and with our city. He wants to do something, and he wants you to join him on his mission. So as we end here, I just want to uh, close our time uh, in prayer in just a moment. I want to share one last quote from Dallas Willard as they talk about this idea of living in the kingdom of God. And I have it on the screen for you. So, relying on God's word and presence, we are enabled to reintegrate the little realm that makes up our lives into the infinite rule of God. That is the eternal kind of life. Caught up in his active rule, our deeds become an element in God's eternal history. God can transform our little domain that makes up our lives and make it a part of his eternal history. We want to be a part of that? Pray with me as the worship team comes up. God, we thank you so much again for the challenge that you give us. The challenge that you gave your listeners 2,000 years ago that you give to us today. And that is the challenge to give to you the things that belong to you. And God, we know that we're made in your image. We belong to you. So may our lives be a reflection of your character, your image. May our lives declare your domain. And let our little realm that makes up our existence be transformed to be a part of your eternal history. We thank you and give you this time now in your name. Amen. I want to invite you as we sing this final song and kind of conclude our Converge series. I want to invite you to stand and let's sing this last song together and just declare to God what we believe and declare our commitment to the truth in scripture and to who he is. So let's sing this last one together.